homeowners associations. Love them or hate them, odds are you've heard about them. You might have heard about homeowners having issues with HOAs, but you've probably never heard anything like this. Families say they were forced to move from their North County homes or live in fear of retaliation from their homeowners association. I'm Kayla White, host of Valley 101 from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. For today's episode, we're looking into this question from one of our listeners. Hi, this is Ann Drescher. I was wondering why there are so many HOAs in the Valley compared to other places in the United States. To answer this question, I'm joined by Katie O'Connell. Hey, Kayla. Hi. So before we dive in, there's one thing we should probably do first. Katie, can you give me a quick definition of an HOA? Actually, that's the perfect setup. For some background research on today's episode, I talked to two Arizona Republic reporters. I'm Jessica Baim. I'm the Phoenix City Hall reporter. I'm Katherine Rager. I'm the senior housing and real estate reporter. I asked them for their definition of an HOA. Here's what Jessica said. So an HOA or a homeowners association is basically a contract that you sign when you move into a neighborhood and it is a collection of homeowners that live in an area and you usually pay either monthly, quarterly, or annual assessments to be a part of that community. I think of it as the most local form of government. Homeowner associations aren't optional. If you move into one, you have to join and you have to pay the assessments. The cost of the assessment varies depending on what your association provides in return. You sign a contract with your association that includes something called the Covenants, Conditions, and Restrictions, or a CCNR. And it's basically a very long-winded legal document that is very important for you to read. It lays out everything from when assessments are due and what they can do if you don't pay them to what you can and can't do in your home. Uh, Some places like condos can control the pets you have. They can control the types of paint you use on your home. And a lot of that is outlined in the CCNRs. And just how many HOAs are there in the Valley? And where do we rank with them compared to other states? Well, it turns out that's not an easy question to answer. Catherine helped me understand why. For our size, um, we have a higher percentage, but it's really hard to track because there's no one group that tracks all HOAs. It's different by states, just like nobody regulates them. So it's a process of going through, figuring it out, counting them. It's... um, You can't call the government and say, hey, how many HOAs are here? They won't know. There's a trade organization called the Community Associations Institute. Each year, they break down community association data, such as how many are in each state and how many people live in them. The last time they did this was with data from 2017. In that data, Arizona ranks number 10 in the nation for total number of community associations. It says we've got 9,600 associations that are home to almost 2 million people. States like Florida, California, and Texas have more. So if we're number 10 in the nation, the next question is how we got there. Like N. Drescher asked, why are there so many HOAs in the Valley compared with other states? 
The answer goes back to the population boom Phoenix saw in the post-World War II era. After the limitations of the war years, people were eager to get on with their lives. All the military men that were stationed in Arizona during the war, a good deal of them fell in love with it while they were here. And they were the first ones to migrate back to Arizona. They loved it. People began moving to Arizona in force. They came not just for the healthful climate, but for jobs and a better place to raise a family. Catherine said that one person in particular helped develop the planned community model that's so pervasive today. In Metro Phoenix, our growth really started in Maryvale with John F. Long and Sun City in the West Valley in like the late 1950s and 60s. Arizona PBS has a series called Arizona Memories. The program on the 1950s includes information about Long's role in developing the planned community. It even includes Long himself. In 1947, a newly married vet named John F. Long returned to Phoenix to find his own piece of heaven. The future developer began with a single house. This first home was to be our own, and uh, I really hadn't decided what I wanted to do. Uh, but anyway, uh, we built the home, uh, practically all the work ourselves. Took us six months. And before we had it completed, uh, uh, there was a demand for homes. We started uh, Maryville 1954. And the overall plan uh, was to develop a community that would provide uh, homes for uh, young families and a place for their uh, recreation and employment and so forth, and their shopping, all in one given area. Long and other developers started to build on a mass scale. In the DVD, Long said that there were times his company would sell a hundred homes a week. They perfected the art of building a single-story ranch home on a slab, which helped keep costs down. But Catherine said that's not the only way developers built affordable homes. And part of how you could have these affordable, affordable homes with air conditioning at the time uh, for like $30,000 was the HOA was putting a lot of the development in. Phoenix is world-renowned as a city of beautiful homes. This is where the home building industry was revolutionized, where new building techniques were developed where methods were devised to give the homeowner a lot more home for a lot less cost. While building with an HOA started in the 50s, the trend continues today. Jessica said there's a clear reason for that continuation. It saves cities money. Basically, ever since then, cities have realize that they don't have to front the cost for things like the streets and the sidewalks and the green space in a neighborhood. They can just require a developer to start an association and then put that on the homeowners who live there. So are HOAs a good thing or a bad thing? That depends on who you ask. Penny Kepke is a partner at the law firm of Maxwell & Morgan, which represents homeowner and condo associations in Arizona and Utah. Penny reinforced what Jessica said. Cities save money when HOAs absorb costs. They're a real benefit to cities. For example, in a community that has a lot of common area perimeter walls, 
The association is responsible to maintain those walls, to repair those walls, to paint those walls. If it wasn't deed restricted and if there wasn't this corporate entity that took on that obligation, then the municipality would typically provide those services. And Penny said that living in an HOA is a benefit to homeowners as well. Well, typically the properties are much better maintained than in a community that does not have deed restrictions. So you have better curb appeal. Um, depending upon the community, you have a lot more amenities, walking paths, tennis courts, pools, playgrounds, tot lots, dog parks, uh, you know, different amenities such as that. There's also the association does provide common area maintenance and upkeep. Jessica said that living in an HOA can be a less burdensome form of homeownership for some people. It's interesting because people have very passionate views about HOAs, one way or another. Um, and, you know, I live in an HOA, I've had plenty of good experience with it. Uh, it, it really just comes down to like a, a surface level. If, if an HOA is acting in the right way, it can be a great tool for homeowners to make sure that houses are maintained well, that your neighbor doesn't have a bunch of weeds or who knows what in the front yard. Um, if you're in a condo, you can kind of take away that extra burden of not knowing when your roof might cave in or your house might need painting. But that experience isn't universal. I had no idea that an HOA could foreclose. I was in fear of walking outside my door because there was always legal papers, people serving me. No idea what was going on. Finally, I got in September um, a notice for the foreclosure. In 2017, Catherine and Jessica launched an investigation into HOAs foreclosing on houses. In 2015, HOAs started the foreclosure procedure on more than 3,000 Phoenix area homeowners. And in 2016, 330 people in Maricopa County actually lost their homes to their HOAs, which is something that seems so foreign to so many people. You think about okay, if I don't pay my mortgage, the bank may come and take my home away. You do not think about that when it comes to an HOA, but we're seeing a record number in part because our home values have begun to climb and how the foreclosure process works with an HOA is, you know, you still have to pay off your loan that you have for your house. So an HOA doesn't want to foreclose on a house that has a giant loan. They want to foreclose on one where they can make some profit selling it at auction. Um, and so now that homes are beginning to, you know, come back from being underwater for so long, it is again profitable for an HOA to foreclose. I asked Catherine what people can do to fight back if they're in this situation. A couple of years ago, about the time we started looking into it, they, uh, Governor Ducey moved the regulation to the Arizona Department of Real Estate. Uh, but it's an arbitration process, and I believe it's a $500 fee. And you can fight, but it's kind of tough if you can't pay your fees to pay the $500. And, and the department knows that as well, but it is, it's an administrative order. But that is the most regulation we've had so far. So. 
HOAs save cities money, so they're unlikely to go away. And it's worth noting that some people really do like living in their HOA. Catherine said that for every one person who is unhappy with their HOA, there is someone who is happy. That begs the question, if you're a potential homeowner, what should you do? So my name is Dennis Lucier, and I, uh, I run and am the primary advocate for an organization called Arizona Homeowners Coalition. So our purpose is to help homeowners living in HOAs and condominiums across the state. Dennis said that most issues between homeowners and their associations stem from a lack of knowledge. To prevent this, Dennis said there are two steps potential home buyers can take. First, make sure you get your potential governing documents. And please, take the hour or two hours to read them and understand what you're going into. You, this is a contract. You're not just buying a house. You're buying a community, and you're buying the administration of the governance that controls you. His second piece of advice is to make sure you understand the overall financial health of your association. And it's not just a matter of homes, it's of the other facilities. Have they appropriately maintained the facility with the monies available? It's, it's not enough to say, simply look at, oh, this association has $300,000 in their reserves. If they have a reserve study, which they all should, it's not required by law, but they should, and they, they expect to spend $500,000 in the next few years, their reserves are meaningless. Penny, the attorney who represents HOAs, agreed that knowledge is key when you consider purchasing into one. Again, it's your biggest investment, um, and you should go in fully educated and ask your realtor questions, ask the seller questions if you have the opportunity, drive around the neighborhood, maybe talk to some of the neighbors, ask them what they think about living somewhere. Hey, it's Kayla again. Katie, thank you for that quick but informative look at easily one of the most polarizing topics in the Valley. HOAs are definitely a passion topic. Every time the Republic covers HOAs, we get a ton of feedback. One of our listeners, Mike Johnson, put it perfectly. He said HOAs have a thankless job, but when they overreach, it makes it even harder to want to thank them. People lose track of the benefits that an HOA provides. When you sort of get these letters and you say, what benefit? You guys are bothering me for things that are really minor. So, like, you lose track of, yeah, our common area looks really nice. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. As listener Carrie Dozer pointed out after our population episodes, Arizona Memories is narrated by longtime Arizona celebrity voice Pat McMahon. So, Pat, thanks for using your voice to help us all remember the Valley as it used to be. If you're passionate about real estate, you should check out Street Scout, which is AZ Central's neighborhood and housing site that provides property valuations, home sales data, real estate news, and listings. That's at streetscout.com. Also, I would love to meet you. 
you can come see me at the Arizona Storytellers Project show on May 15th. I'll be co-emceeing the show called Stylish Stories at the Phoenix Art Museum. Five people will be telling true stories from their lives about how style has changed them. Tickets are only $12 and you can get them at tickets.azcentral.com. As always, you can submit your questions about Metro Phoenix to us at valley101.azcentral.com. We hope you're enjoying and learning from the wide range of topics we've been tackling, and we have more to come, including some around a personal passion topic, food and dining. If you are enjoying the show, consider leaving us a rating and review on your podcast app. It helps other people find the show. All right, see you next week.